This is Atolio Conversations. I'm Luke Alley. Today, we're talking with Andrea Gallego, who is the global CTO at BCG Gamma, a team within Boston Consulting Group that focuses on enabling AI at scale across multiple industries. I'm really excited to share this conversation because not only is she speaking from the perspective of having had a really interesting career that has traversed from large financial institutions to small but quickly growing NGOs and ultimately to this intersection of consulting and tech, but I also enjoy this conversation because she's a wonderful communicator. She's articulate and funny and, as you'll hear, nothing if not authentic. And so with that, please enjoy my conversation with Andrea Gallego. Thank you so much for talking with me today. It's great to be here. Thanks. Awesome. Well, happy coincidence. We're actually talking on International Women's Day. And I was just listening to a podcast interview that you did with Fairy God Boss Radio. And, and you talked about some of the formative female mentors that you've had the good fortune of being able to work with in your career. And, you know, listening to that, one of the follow up questions that I had was whether or not you have had a chance yourself to be able to, to mentor anybody. Yeah. So first of all, thank you. It's a, it's a wonderful day to sort of reflect and, um, and be very happy and proud to be, to be a woman in this field. I have, I, I think I tell this story a lot, but I do feel like I have been blessed with a probably, uh, probably more female mentors in my field that most young women would have. Right. Um, I've had a female manager and a female boss for over a decade before I joined BCG, which is again, pretty rare. And so I, I feel that I, I owe, I owe it to pay it forward. Right. Um, and I have had the luxury of being, being able to mentor a lot of younger women, peers, colleagues, give advice, that sort of thing. You know, out of all the things that I've, I think I've told people, um, and the feedback I get is what resonates is less sort of giving feedback or giving advice and more having younger women watch what you do how is that leader going to react to a situation? Um, how is she going to uh, speak with us about a topic that's very sensitive? How transparent and how honest and how authentic is that person going to be? Um, and if anyone knows me, most people know me at BCG, I am, if I'm anything, I'm authentic. I do not <laughs> really care. <laughs> Just sort of like, this is how I feel, guys, is what it is. Very emotive. People know when I'm upset. They know when I'm happy. They know when I'm in the doms. They know when I'm in the clouds, right? Like it is just how it is. Um, and I that goes through with how I feel about some of our diversity issues sometimes. Like if I am really upset about what's going on with our some of our diversity programs, if we're they're lacking or if they need to, I'm very, very open about that. Um, and I think it's it's more about showing younger women like you can be vocal without having the fear of retaliation, right? That also takes an amazing, I mean, I work for an amazing company that allows that, right? That allows no fear of retaliation if you speak up. Um, and then I think it's also, I don't know if there is going to be or not, but I still think we need to do it regardless as a gender, right? Um, and I think that sort of, the women like Joy Buliami, right? Um, women like Timmet. I mean, we need to show that we're going to say it regardless. 
because if we don't say something, nothing happens. Right. Um, and I think that's been the best thing I could do is I, I, it sounds super corny to say, you know, you walk the walk, right. But it's hard to do. It's hard to do because there's been moments where it is my career. I am really scared. Um, I am afraid of retaliation. I, I do have imposter syndrome. I do think sometimes do I belong, but I also think like, what happens if I don't do this? We just live in this weird, vicious cycle. Right. Um, you know, and then I think of like people like Grace Hopper. Right. And I think of people like Greta and I'm like, they're like so much more fearless than I was. Right. This is nothing. Um, and so I, my God, I think I would, I think I would like die happy if someone would be like, well, Andrea did it. So (laughs) this should be fine. Um, yeah, but anyway, it's, it's a, it's a great day to reflect on all that stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think you really hit the nail on the head when it comes to the value of authenticity and just how much that can help you weather things, right? It's just being able to know at the end of the day that you were true to yourself. And, I think that's something that you can discuss and explain and talk about a lot. But at the end of the day, people will often learn that through seeing it demonstrated first uh, through action. Right. And uh, I also I, I hope that in asking my question, I didn't make it sound like, you know, it's uh, it's on women alone to like help each other out and lift each other up. But uh, <laughs> no, I just I, I do think that it that is an important relationship, though. Right. It's like female to female mentorship. Yeah. I mean, male, look, male, I completely agree, right? Male allies are ultra important, especially in a world where realistically there are more men than women in some fields. And so you need a male ally sometimes because there isn't a female mentor there. Right. Um, but yeah, we also need to realize that it's just science, right? There are so, there are some wonderful books out there that are like, look, men and women are wired slightly differently from a scientific perspective. And so sometimes a a female just needs a female to speak to. They've gone through the same things. Maybe they're dealing with motherhood, et cetera. Right. And the male ally can always be ultra supportive. I, I mean, my own, my own boss at BCG, right. has been a male ally since day one and I wouldn't be where I am without him, but I have some female mentors there that really make me feel like, okay, you know, I know that she knows what I'm going through at a very like, you know, fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there's also just that cultural level, right, where it, it, it just matters to be able to identify with and, and see yourself in people that you admire. Right. Uh, and, you know, I, I again, I, I really hope that the people that you are uh, demonstrating a lot of those values for will be able to go on to demonstrate those things for other people. I hope so. So let's talk about your career. You know, you, you've done some really interesting things with early stage companies. And I, I think that you have some interesting perspectives about where innovation happens and can come from. So I just wanted to hear about the sort of origins of your interest with small and early stage companies. Yeah, sure. So I guess it all started. I um I was one of the uh, Lehman babies. So I was part of the, you know, famous uh, Lehman Brothers walkout, which my God now has been has been a while. Um, And after that, I decided to go work for a very small um, foundation uh, that was that was funded by a a very prominent hedge fund um, husband and and uh, his wife. 
Uh, and it was fantastic. The vision was to just like, look, the sciences and maths need more money. And, you know, we need to do research and we need to fund the right things. And so let's get a group of people together and find a way to fund the right things. And there's like five, five of us in a brownstone that ended up being, you know, like 200 of us five years from then. Um, and there's just something so special about just getting together as a small team and brainstorming and then trying and being like, that didn't work. Let's try something else. Okay. That didn't work. Let's try something else. Um, and there's also something really special about being part of the origins of something that's, that grows like right before your eyes. Right. Um, it's, it's definitely not like having a kid, but it's just sort of like, you know, you see like the phases of this, like, you know, corporate or whatever, you know, uh, company child grow. Right. And you're like, oh my God, like you wake up one day and you're like, where do all these people come from? <laughs> right. Um, and then you become sort of a part of this, this, this movement. And, and at the foundation, it was really, it felt like a movement, right. Cause we were just doing at, at one point, we were small. And then at another point I was in Turkey giving money to women in need, right. Um, to fight violence. And it was just so special and so meaningful to realize that like, wow, we were this little thing. And now look at the impact that we have. And I don't know, it sort of stuck with me that I love seeing where ideas are born and I love seeing how they're nurtured and how they grow. Uh, you know, people will go, well, why aren't you at a startup? Why are you at a big consulting company? Well, if you think about what consulting companies do, <laughs> we nurture ideas, you know, and a lot of times we're actually doing this ourselves in cycles. We're testing ideas and generating ideas. You know, we started a small AI company called Source AI and exited that to Data Robot. And again, I got that like sensation of like, here we are, this little team kind of scared because we have no clue if this thing is going to work, but you can just see everyone's brain sparking, the whiteboards are going, and then you see what can happen with that. And then I guess the last thing I love about it is I think it's where you learn the fastest. I think when you work in a, a very fast, innovative company or startup, or when you're in that mode, you are failing and learning and succeeding and failing and learning and succeeding over and over and over again, as you grow this thing, that's, that's new, right? It's either new in the market or it's new inside the company. And I think that means you can grow quite a bit quite quickly. And I, I never feel like I get stale or I stagnate because I'm sort of always in this environment. And I, I really love the power of innovation there. I, I love the notion of seeing where ideas are born. I, I think that's, you know, something that I also find really, really compelling. And so, I, I, yeah, I just love to, to kind of frame it that way. And it sounds like your team kind of has the best of both worlds in a way where you have an innovative mindset, but also the resources of an established institution. So was that innovative mindset was that a, a kind of a something that you had to intentionally direct as a leader or, or kind of foster or is it something that just kind of happens more organically? That's an awesome question. I think, you know, I don't think I've, I, and maybe I have, I don't know, I might probably ask my peers, but I think I haven't intentionally done anything that's like I need to bring this very particular culture in. But I will say, I think not intentionally looking back, there have been certain things that I wish we could instill more of that you lose a little bit when you have that safety net. 
right? Because when you, you know, when you work at a startup and the VC money is attached to it and you're waiting for that next round, if you don't have that next round, your idea may not make it. And there is this real sense of urgency and you need to have a real passion. You're also, I think, always pushed to make sure that the market really wants what you're serving up, right? And when you have a safety net, it's kind of like, well, yeah, but if we don't get the next round, we still are employed. Or yeah, but if our idea doesn't hit the market, we just get a new idea. And so sometimes the lesser ideas make it anyway, or sometimes people don't think hard enough about asking the tough questions. Have we hit the right personas, the right journeys? Do we have the right fit? Um, are we, do we, have we sized the market correctly? All these things that you're like intensely, is the product as good as it should be? Is it everything we want it to be? Sometimes that falls to the wayside, not just naturally, because you know, internally that, you know, you are employed by this larger entity. Right. Um, and I think we push I think we push that through our own sort of investment vehicles and stuff like that. And we try to be like, but no, 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 like it's still, this is really important for the company and this means a lot. And so I think we try to, we try to do that, but um, you know, most people we've worked with that have gone to startups and come back and all that will tell you just naturally it's, it's hard to um, replicate that uh, when you know, there's a safety net. Right. Absolutely. The sort of inertia and, and like, irrevocable knowledge of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's interesting, too. You seem to be kind of distinguishing between like, urgency and like panic, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's definitely a difference there. That's a great point. Yeah, there's a very big, yeah, exactly. There's a very big difference. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, let's, let's talk about some of the sort of innovative things out there that are your most kind of keen on right now. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just start with a, a broad question. Um, I, I'd like to ask you a little bit about kind of information management, things like that, but maybe we can just start by asking, you know, is there, is there any particular type of technology or, or space that you're, you're most excited about right now? So I, I, you know, one of the things that, um, I hope we figure out is, and I, I think we finally got to this point, we talk about climate a ton, right? And we're like, climate, 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 we need to fix the climate, we need to recycle, et cetera. Um, yes, that's true. However, the data centers that we're all very happy with are emitting a crap ton of CO2. And we are just pushing them more and more and more. And we're talking about, you know, artificial intelligence, information management, these things. And as information basically explodes, those data centers need to crank more power. Uh, and so I'm really excited to see what's happening with hardware um, and watching teams like NVIDIA, Intel, Apple with M1, watching them see how they can sort of get a, just more bang for your buck right out of these chips. Uh, the question to be seen, right, the question to be answered is whether these data centers will then start refactoring their entire systems to take these chips on, because that is a very, that's an expense. It's very expensive. And there's, um, there's a reality like we have with electric and gas cars, which is you don't just go like this, flip a switch, and then voila, it's all electric cars. <laughs> and they're bye-bye gas, right? Like 
it is quite a process. People, not everyone can afford an electric car, right? And it's the same thing with data centers. I mean, you're asking a lot of an enterprise to go in and then all of a sudden, well, why can't you just make your data centers more efficient? You know, it's it's quite complicated, but I am, that is what I'm super keen on seeing if we can, if we can figure out, because I do think it'll make a dent. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's it's kind of like you're saying what you were saying earlier about that idea around sort of authenticity and like principles and things like that. Like, you know, you really just hope that the people who are in the decision making positions at a lot of those places are the types of people who are similarly to you willing to just be authentic and make those risky decisions and put themselves out there. And yeah, I think we're, we're all kind of have our fingers crossed for, for, for that kind of uh, innovation in, in that space, definitely. So kind of getting a little more specific around that uh, topic of information management again, um, you know, obviously you were at the foundation as that grew very rapidly. Um, I imagine that there must have been some some pain around the idea of, sharing information and kind of having being the one who knows where stuff is and uh, just trying to keep people on the same page and and share information as the the team was growing really rapidly um, is there um, so I, I I guess in your your current position like how do you think about that that problem now and and um, how does that kind of compare to that much more generic problem of like, oh, there's too many people. How do we manage the information? How, how is it more specifically faced at uh, Boston Consulting Group? Yeah, so uh, it, <laughs> we probably, as uh, most strategic consulting companies, um, I would argue house some of the most powerful information, right? Because if you think about who we help and how we help, um, we're here to make impact across all the Fortune 500s, across all foundations, right? It's not just sort of for-profit companies either, right? We are working in many countries helping to deliver clean water, right? And so we like there's data around how to there's data around you know water and geo in many many countries alongside with all of the company information people think we typically have access to, right? Um, but finding a way to, le- to to search, leverage, and manage that data internally is still quite complicated, even with all the technology we have today, right? Because there's, there's all these questions that I'm assuming not just BCG, but many companies have to answer when they do that, which is, first, there's all this sort of data you can put in a database. And that's like, okay, that makes sense. I can query it. I can put it in, you know, a table and super easy fine. And then I can put it on a sort of, I can put on an app and everyone can go to this, you know, search.bcg.com and awesome. And then there's the more important information, which is Slack conversations, PowerPoint presentations, email, um, Trello boards, right? All these things that if we could analyze them in a very particular way, answer questions around cross-industry learnings, um, culture it within and throughout a company, uh, political dynamics, right? Uh, and so finding a way to not necessarily just put all that information in one place, but sort of start with a lens of why are we even gathering the information? 
What's our problem statement? For what reason are we gathering it? How do we find the right technologies to, to actually put that into a, a search mechanism? And then what questions are we actually going to ask of that data in a permissible way, right? Because you think about email, Slack, and there's data privacy issues around all of those things, as there should be. People don't all of a sudden, if all of a sudden I was at BCG and I'm like, all right, as Gamma CTO, I'm going to search all your Slack conversations. <laughs> That's it. The Slack conversations would be like, dear, <laughs> you know, I would like to ask you about this very okay thing. It would just be so inauthentic <laughs> and like we get no cultural dynamic learnings from it at all. Right. And so how do we do that in a safe way? Um, man, that's sort of like what, you know, that would be, that'd be really, really amazing to do research on. Um, so I hope we can get like the right technologies to, um, and frameworks and policies, right, to to get there. I think that's a great perspective. I mean, that's something I, I really hadn't even thought about actually, or that hadn't occurred to me yet was, was that idea of like, just the cross industry analysis, just, just like how much, how spread and what a wide net uh, is, is being cast in terms of information and uh, how much you can learn from just comparing things is just, I'm sure. Oh yeah. No, again, I think that's such a, such a cool, such a cool idea to think about. Yeah. I would love to search like, uh, I don't know, like if I were able to search all the presentations and do something like, you know, like lean supply chain, right? Uh, and then realize that like 17 industries pop up. And, you know, in all of those industries, now it's like, oh, maybe there is like a lean supply chain product we can build across all these industries. Do a deeper dive into, okay, where in supply chain are these industries really overlapping? And right now, you, we, there, some of that happens, but it's all sort of like hypothesis driven. It's not data or fact-based necessarily. Um, unless you do a very extensive paid research, right? And interview people and find out where this is data-driven, which is sort of the future, right? So it'd be really cool to actually, if someone's like, how do you know that these industries overlap? Well, here's <laughs> here's literally a graph network of all the points where these industries overlapped in supply chain in this very particular part of the supply chain, right? Um, it'd be really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great, too, because I, you know, that also reminds me of another sort of point that you were talking about in this in this other interview. I, were you talking about just your background as just being a, a data driven person and just like you're the, going back to school to, to kind of really emphasize that part of, of your your leadership and your work and your decision making? I think that's um, yeah, I just I, I really admire that. I think that's a that's a that's a great thing. That's my OCD look. <laughs> 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 it's just like I have control over so many things. So I'd like to have control over the things I can. And the more data I have, the more control I feel. <laughs> so it's probably not, I'm probably going to get a call from a therapist after this podcast. But <laughs> it's, you know, it's what it is. Sorry. There's the authenticity piece. That's what it is. <laughs> That's so good. Awesome. Uh, cool. Well, I'll, uh, I have one last question for you. It's a bit of a curveball question. I do like to ask it at the end of the interviews, though. Um, and it's, what's the best question I haven't asked you? Ooh. Why have I been in consulting for over a decade? So for the longest time, 
I have thought that the one, and I still believe this, the one industry that still remains to need to change the most is consulting. And I like being a change agent within that. Um, it's very difficult, but I find a lot of energy in being a part of basically almost a hundred year old industry and watching it change, right? I mean, literally going from, wait a second, do we even need PowerPoints anymore? Are, like hiring engineers in a strategic consulting company was never a thing. And being part of that change, especially at something like a BCG um, and watching that growth has been, has been really amazing. Uh, once maybe it fully changes, then maybe I'll be like, all right, it's time to go do, time to go change something else. Um, but for the for the meantime, I think we still have some work to do. I think that's fantastic. I think that's fantastic. Yeah, there's such a high ceiling of, of just tangible, tangible effect that you can make. I think that's uh, I yeah, I really admire that as being like a a a motivator. Thank you. Thanks to Andrea for the conversation. Thanks to Tom Tierney for the music, and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>